Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 50. How are you holding up? It certainly is a strange time, isn't it? Most of us have been home for four, five, maybe even six weeks. We've adjusted to Zoom calls and physical distancing, been without pub nights, movie theaters, and sporting events for over a month now. And many of us have taken this time to put our focus in unused hours into a new creative pursuit, painting, baking, cooking, or creating Tiger King costumes for when we're allowed back into the world. For me, it's been about trying to get through old interviews and edit them for the pod. And this week, I've got one of those for you. He's a producer that's been bringing the city of Toronto sports since the mid-2000s. He was part of a team at The Score that set the benchmark for interesting and innovative digital content, as well as an app that allowed us to get a downright annoying level of sports alerts to our phone before anyone else was offering it. He was my producer in crime on All for One and currently heads up development with me at Space Monkey. You know him on Twitter as at Mr. Sean K. You know him on Instagram as at Sean K. He's the sweetest, kindest, smartest, and most creative spiky-haired punk to ever come out of Whitby, Ontario. The master of Spurs sadness, the prince of podcasts, the deputy of development. He's got two bum ankles but won't hesitate to stick that good foot up your ass during an indoor Saturday soccer match. It's Sean K. and he's coming up right after I tell you about t-shirts. Stringer Labs is teaming up with local and national charities to help connect all of our listeners directly to causes that we have a personal connection to and are in need of additional support through COVID-19. 100% of the proceeds from these limited edition shirts goes directly to helping those who are helping Canada get through this. Shirts are only $25 and you can find more on the designs and the charity partners by heading over to thestringer.ca. Also, if you work with a charity or are close to a cause and want to team up on a project, you can hit me up on Twitter at Chancellor. I'd love to hear all about it. Now, this is the spot where we usually insert some big weekend stuff. You know, we find something that someone we know is doing or something cool around the city and throw in a big event or two and drop a promo code so you can get cheap tickets. Well, with all of us sitting around indoors and not going to sporting events or cool things going on in the city, I want to take this time to point you in the direction of some cool stuff people have been creating during isolation. One of our first guests, cinematographer Jeffrey Garriock, has launched a podcast of his own called Not Happening. Available wherever you're listening to this podcast, Not Happening is a place for good news and a sea of coronavirus stories. Jeff connects with other self-isolating folks to recommend art, share wholesome content, and make the best of these strange times. So check out Not Happening on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you're listening to my voice right now. If you're creating something and you want to share it with the world, hit us up on Twitter, at Stringer Podcast, or by email, podcast at the Stringer, and we'll check it out and give it a pump in an upcoming episode. All right, with all this extra time on our hands, a lot of us have spent afternoons digging through our dusty record collections, our old CD books, or maybe just scrolling back through our most listened to tracks on Spotify. The nostalgia we get from listening to that music is a drug that cannot be replicated by anything else in our life. Immediately, we're transported back in time to the circumstances surrounding our initial meeting, interaction, and relationship with the album. But if we're being honest, while thumbing through those albums in our collection, we all come across those that we aren't so quick to share with others. You know, the dirty little secrets, the guilty pleasures. This isn't a music podcast. We can drop the pretense. We both know what I'm talking about, right? Music has provided us an ample amount of opportunity to latch onto these pleasures over the years in the form of sub and hybrid genres, supergroups, or bands consisting of members that seem to have been born straight out of the regular, everyday suburban American neighborhood. 
a neighborhood like, let's say, Vacaville, California, which roughly translated is a Spanish hybrid word for Cowtown. And in Cowtown, California, you'd have regular high schoolers doing regular high school things, forming garage bands, entering music talent shows, and eventually releasing albums that many of us owned, but few of us will ever cop to. You know, albums from a band like this one, Vacaville's Papa Roach. In a part of North America that has become known for both its punk music and rap scenes, it actually begins to make complete sense that California also became the birthplace to the 90s new metal hybrid genre. Yes, that's new, spelt N-U. And it was 20 years ago this week, on April 25th, 2000, that Papa Roach released their major label debut. Infest climbed to the number 5 spot on the Billboard 200 and sold more than 8 million copies worldwide. So that means there's 7,999,999 other people that are just like me with this album stashed away in their guilty pleasures pile. From Infest, here's Between Angels and Insects, then The Sax, then Sean Kelly. weird is from having sports filled in here uh, with the whole with the lights yeah just you don't even not even the camera and stuff just the lights yeah i don't like the way this room looks like with with the incandescent lighting yeah, yeah i guess not ugly lighting not daylighting not everything's fluorescent anymore not no not everything's fluorescent oh look at us you got your tea i got my water Dylan, can you? Are you gonna cough? I was slurping. Oh, I was thinking before we got in here that first Kyle asked me. Uh, he said, "Do you will you ask about stories you already know about because you know they're good stories, but you're not learning anything?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course I will." Yeah, I'm like, "It's gonna be a full hour of me just like bringing up stuff that I know it happened, but I think it's worth talking about." But then I wondered how awkward this is going to be between us. And it's when I say awkward, it's because you know when I'm not talking the way I usually do. <laughs> and I'll know when you're holding something back or not talking like the way you usually do. Because this is essentially basically a recording of what every day is like during the week. Yeah, unless we get really exploratory, but then who knows? No, right. <laughs> because I come in every day between 10 and 11. You're already 
you know, at your desk for probably 90 odd minutes. And then as soon as I get settled and check whatever I want to check, whatever like numbers are telling me on whatever we're working on, I'll wander into your office and probably take on a quick day, 45 minutes out of your morning and on a long day, like, well, I think we've gone over two hours before. Yeah. Usually lunch breaks up. Yes. Yeah. You coming. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, time for lunch. Let's uh, <laughs> let's do this. This is almost going to be like a pilot of our own podcast series. It's like if, if we're able to make this work, if we can sit across from each other and talk, but with like microphones in front of us yeah. and carry a conversation uh, that people might be interested in, this could pilot a whole new idea. Sean K is on the podcast, uh, which is fun to announce. But as I've kind of been mumbling along, this is just going to be like every other day. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> is this, is this, this going to be 50? Is this 50? Am I, is this 50? You're number 50. Wow. This is, well, we are planned to be number 50. This is going to be released next week. Yeah. We never know. Like if Austin Matthews wanders in the door and decides he wants to talk to me about life in Arizona, then he might slip in at number 50. But I think you're number 50. If I get bumped, I know where to go. <laughs> I thought we'd start here. It's a start. Uh, like I always, whenever we're writing up the uh, show notes, it's always like Clay and so and so, the origin story. So before we, we we get to your life, before let's just get to the the important part, the one that involves me. <laughs> we met through Toronto FC, through Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. You had been hired on. Recent, I don't know why I'm going to give your bio for you. It's Yay. like I have the sheet in front of me. But you had been hired on to be the community manager for Toronto FC. I was about to start my second year doing All for One, which was going to be my first full year with Toronto FC because season one was only through training camp and up to uh, the second game, the first home game of the season, the second game of the season. Where were you at? So it's January, I think, of 2015. Where were you at, like professionally, where were you at before we met? Professionally, it was, it was quite a change for me uh, just because I'd only known one job in my professional career. I was at the score for seven or eight years, give or take. And this was quite a leap and a bit of a, I wouldn't, I don't want to call it a step back because I think I learned so much in the job and we'll go over that. I'm assuming, <laughs> but uh, maybe, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a step back because I was leading a team uh, at the score in social media and we were sort of creating best practices and I was leading a bunch of guys, uh, including Jake and Zubes, mm. Chris Lund, yada, yada, yada. But, <laughs> and then, so I, but I, I needed to grow. I needed to change. And originally when I applied for the job, I was interested. I, it's a dream scenario, but I had planned to leverage the contract offer to get more money from the score because I really deep in my heart loved what the score was doing and wanted to be a part of it, but always knew that there was a chance that I'd grow too old for the job and just grow out of it. And that was sort of the, the move that did it. My boss at the time told me to go and not in a negative way, but no. as a, as somebody who, who wanted to see me flourish and grow and, and try something new and knew how important TFC was to my life. Were you in development? Is that where you finished off at the score? I was spending some time in development. I, I felt like that's where there was opportunities. Yeah. They were investing tons of money in development on the app side. And I had sort of found a small little niche on 
creating like free agent trackers and, oh, and things that were involved yeah, in off seasons or trades or whatever, any tracker that was through the app, I sort of spearheaded because we didn't do anything and nobody really put any attention. And I saw it as an opportunity to grab something and make it my own. There were some good days on that. There were some <laughs> bad days on that. We had too many people on uh, a world cup group, like they were doing the draw and the yeah. tracker and it just started to crash. And then the people who were developing, it just started to fall apart. And you're like, there's millions of people on this. Are there people working on it while it's going on? Yeah, because at that time, none of the trackers actually had, this is getting into the weeds, but feeds. that right. would, It that wasn't would, pulling from. No, we would have somebody on the editorial team being like, okay, A4 is South Korea. Holy And smokes. so what ended up happening was the CMS on the back end started to melt down. Yeah. And we're just sitting there being like, oh no. <laughs> and that was sort of my like, oh yeah, things can break. Shit. <laughs> um. And so I was half on that and then still managing day to day the, uh, the social team. So I was sort of doing both. I was pushing myself forward uh, professionally with through the development side, seeing if there's anything there on my end. And then the other side, it was me just doing what I've been doing my entire life, which is, quote unquote, managing communities. You know, history will tell whether this was a good thing for Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment or not. But a neat connection that we have is through John Sinden. And John and I, I first met John when he was at Edge 102. And I had been really interested, go figure, in getting into radio. But then when he went over, he ended up at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. He kind of had, I'm going to say nicely, had his eye on me. Like he knew that I was kind of in the in the circle and so when an opportunity as a writer and as a kind of like a website producer came up for Marley's, I think he helped influence my hire there. And then you fast forward three, four years to when you come in. Yep. He is then your, the, the person you directly reported to. What was your history with John? We had known and met each other a few years before that through um, the TFC supporters group, Youth Sector. I don't know how John got involved. I think there was a, a guy who worked at the edge in the promos side, uh, Adam Kahansky, who then was friends with John and brought John in. And for, for, for just thinking that was the guy, you sure have all the details. I know. I, I like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, it is. I'm just like, how did he get here? How did like right. all of these people? And I'm like, ah, oh, maybe it's him anyway. So we met and he was playing in a soccer league that we played in. And because we were in the same space, yeah. uh, kept in conversation. And it was just sort of a situation where Asif, who was in the community manager role, left to go to a bigger and better thing. And and the job was open. And then at that time, I was like, well, I'd be stupid not to throw my hat in there because it's something that I'm passionate about. TFC, before working for the team, was still my life. At that time, I had, I think I had just started dating my wife. So Now wife. Yeah, my you were, you, yeah. <laughs> you, she didn't become your yeah. wife and you're like, well, I think we should get to know each other. But before she came along, like TFC was everything. Yeah. It was every night it would be like, oh, we're going to go watch the game or I'm hanging out with that group of friends and it just became so much. And when this job came up, I'm like, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to travel with the team. You knew that it was going to be a bit rough because but 2013 when I applied because that team sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but... But no comment. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, were, they were just a rough, rough team that was learning to figure out what it was and how it was going to grow. But yeah, that that was rough. And you, I had conversations with the Seif before and, mm -hmm. and had conversations with John. And it was uh, yeah, it was one of those situations where I'm like, once in a lifetime, I have to put my name in the ring because when else am I going to do this? Right. Uh, little known fact, when a Seif left Toronto FC, 
in the middle of September of 2013. Yours truly was the community manager. And I kind of thought that that was going to be my my gig. I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to kind of shift teams here. It's not that I hadn't found success doing these, like the yep. video stories and at that point a show, a five-part series. But I was like, oh, this is where I'm transitioning into. And then when I applied or I went to apply for the gig officially, because I had to do it for like two months, including the end of season press conferences after a bad year. And when I went to go apply, I was told no, which was weird. And that kind of set up. And the only reason why I tell that part is that set up this interesting uh, feeling I had as to who you were going to be, because I wasn't even I was advised not to apply which is pretty, it's not even like, oh yeah, yeah, throw, throw your name in. You never know what'll happen. It was kind of like, eh, don't even bother. So you kind of, you're, you're extra skeptical of the person coming in. You're like, all right, what's this guy got that I don't got? <laughs> what did I do wrong? And that leads us, I think, into early January. I don't, had, had we crossed paths? Do you remember? Had we crossed paths before we wound up in Philadelphia? No. The Philadelphia meeting was not that it's this monster. Oh my God. <laughs> Yo, it is though. But, but yeah, the Philadelphia meeting was the first time uh, because on my side, like when that, when Asif was officially leaving that job yep. and I had applied like in June or July yep. for that role, not to only to be hired in December, I just assumed that they had moved on. I hadn't right. really talked to John and they're like, oh yeah, they moved. Like, I'm like, oh, it's been so long. Nobody has hiring that long. Mm-hmm wrong. No. Uh, <laughs> but what ended up happening was, yeah, I started to hear in scrums, your mm-hmm. voice started to just, you would, you just ingrain yourself in on the back of all these scrums and you're just like, Oh, somebody took this job. And yeah. so I had a similar where I'm like, I don't know who this person is. Yeah. What is going on here? So I had like, it was a similar version of like skepticism. The, the other side. Be like, oh man. He's the one who got it? Yeah. Who's he's, this guy? He's he, not even in the community. I was just going to say that. <laughs> he's not even a soccer person. Yeah. So. So we wind up in Philadelphia for the MLS Super Draft. And I think we're on different flights. I don't even think they sent us on the exact same flight because it's not like we said we were going to meet at the airport and then whatever, grab something to eat. I believe you got in before me. We didn't meet at the hotel, even though we're staying at the same hotel. We decided we're going to meet somewhere for lunch, which I don't know. Looking back, it's kind of weird. I don't know if I do that kind of thing now. Like we think of all the people we have come in and we chat about whatever projects they always come meet us at for here. It'd be like at the office and then we go out and grab lunch. But one of us decided we're like, nah, meet me at the restaurant. (laughs) I, I think it's kind of weird. Yeah, it definitely was. But at the same time, I think it's an equal playing field. It's this situation where I don't know. There's not you're not searching for somebody mm-hmm. like if you're like meeting in the lobby and then you run up to. Are you Clay? Are you Clay? Right. Yeah, like, that is kind of weird, especially around uh, MLS draft time where everyone's trying to network and you yeah. just you're going to see these faces for the next five years. And yeah. you're like, Oh, you're the idiot who just thought I was this other guy. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, so anyway, yeah, I, th- I, it was one of those. And I think it was sort of me. I don't know who chose it, but it was like, I, I just prefer any sort of awkward situation to have a drink in my hand. And that was where I think I was like, this guy's going to be okay. Because you're like, let's go to a pub. And I was like, yes, let's totally go to a pub. And 
to the point is it's this is really weird for me to admit. I don't think I've told you before. Do you remember what you drank? Yingling. Was it? Yeah. It's so weird that I can remember what you had because you made your beer selection and I was like, oh, yeah, this dude like it's not just. You know, give me Coors Light, Coors Light, or run of the mill whatever beer. French onion soup, Guinness. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. And Shepherd's Pie. Oh, yeah, didn't that's remember what I, that one. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't know how I remember that, but I remember getting the Shepherd's Pie. I remember in my, I can picture the table we're at, in the thing, and I'm gonna say it's kind of like a force relationship or an arranged marriage like the way your role at the time and my role at the time had to work together it's way different than what it ever evolved into oh yeah between the role of a community manager and the dude who did whatever digital video or whatever yeah because we were we traveled to all the games together you're at you're at every away match i was at every away match that year and you're kind of the gatekeeper to make sure that my stuff gets out Right. Or how it gets out. And so I really depended on you. And then I was also either learned or I was told of your history with the team and your history in soccer in general. And so for me, I knew I was going to have to depend on you if I wanted anything to get better. Interesting. And obviously, like. See, this isn't an interview, Sean. No, this is a conversation. No, but it, <laughs> I just tossed it over. I just lobbed the idea over to you. But yeah, you, yes, I, yeah. I it's it is definitely an interesting situation. And I didn't I didn't know for the first little while that I was being gleaned for information. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when did you figure it out? How many times did we go sit in the bowl of Air Canada Center, now Scotiabank Arena, before you're like, oh, he is picking my brain just to make this show better? I, I can't remember when the moment was, but it was just sort of situations where we'd just be t- talking and there's the one thing that I love to do the most is just to talk about major league soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anytime I was like, tell me more about this random person. Who's the 18th man on the right. Seattle Sounders. I'm like, well, I'll tell you about him. He went to this school and but he yeah. was drafted probably in 2012. Was it, was that the draft? What was the draft that you knew everything about? Oh gosh. I'm it was a bright DK draft. Yeah, it was uh, 11. It, yeah. Moro, Wiedemann, DK. It was a, a it was an okay draft class. It right. was, but like the the characters that sort of came across through Toronto FC yeah. all sort of came through that draft. But I think it was a little bit earlier. It might have been two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I can't remember. So I had launched my own website mm-hmm. back in the day because I loved MBADraft.net or Draft okay. Express, and then I was like, well, MLS needs a version. So 100%. I started myself um, with a, a friend who who helped. Shout out to Terry Dobbs. He was sort of the back end guy. But anyway, we started writing for like for three or four years. And like a couple times I would write for soccer 360 or for CBC, John Molinaro like would interview me and I would be giving my insight. I, Mm. I paid my way to go to two or three combines and then, yeah. And then followed up to the draft every year. And it was, it was just me by myself just doing it. Just hang in 2010 Dylan. There you go. Dylan looked it up for us. Steve Zakuani first overall, or is that 2009? Oh, Danny Moanga. Yeah, yeah. MLS draft, man. <laughs> you can go in the first. Roll in the dice. You can go first overall and be like, who was that? Yeah, no. My first draft was the Omar Gonzalez draft where we chose, t- we, Toronto FC chose <laughs> Sam Cronin. Uh, great player. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed his time in Toronto and his career, but was just like Omar Gonzalez was on the board and we needed a center back and we were like, nah, let him stay. <laughs> Now here we are. So years later, we got him anyway.
in the first year when we're sitting there and it's not obviously at the draft the first time we have drinks and I think we went at least two hours then. So this has got to go at least that (laughs) it wouldn't have been, it would have been the first time we met in Philadelphia, but I felt like at some point I realized that, Oh, you're not, and I say just very nicely, but you're, you're not choosing to be here to manage the social network. You're here to guide the content, to guide exactly what Toronto FC fans were going to receive and how they were going to ingest it. Was that, is this like part of a master plan on your end or, or, did you just get comfortable? Did, did did you come in simply and then and then just kind of feel your way through or did you know going in you're like hey, I'm going to I'm going to change the city. Um <laughs> I think a little bit of both. I think I wanted to make changes cuz obviously when you come into a new role, you want to you want to put a stamp on it and say this is something that I created or this is something that I wanted to do and I think through time and through understanding the structure of MLSE and, and Toronto FC at the time, uh, I found I had a lot more free reign than I right. thought I was going to have. Yep. And when I did, I started pushing limits a little bit. Yep. And then obviously at moments getting your hand slapped and understanding that, wait, this isn't a news organization like the score that I used to work for. It's a, it's a team. A perfect example was when I started, I'm like, well, we're going to do projected started 11s because I think that's a really cool thing to engage with fans. After the first one, might it was either you or somebody else came up to me and was like, uh, the captain and the coach saw that posted and it was too close to what the eleven's gonna be. We're gonna have to Did you project it the first time? The first one, yes. Yeah. So um, you guessed. Yeah. And then the coach is like, who knows? Yeah. It was like, who's the leak? And I'm like, well, I wasn't like I wasn't like I was sitting there watching practice writing the eleven or right. or even at that time, it was like the first month. I had no idea the structure in which things went. And so I was just like, well, no, these are the 11 best players for the position and this is what it should be. And me or John Molinero or Kurt Larson or even just like Steve on the block would probably tell you that's the 11, but it's coming from the official site. So you just got to learn the game. And, and, and so to not freak players out. Yeah. Yeah. Coaches. Yeah. So but yes, I think pushing the limits in different ways and, and finding opportunities to really express what the fan wants and what, what they need. And me being in the two years ago in that sort of same spot, being like, what do I need from a Toronto FC account or right. content wise? And then I just got to be able to deliver to two years ago, Sean. So, yeah. You mentioned, you know, receiving feedback from, from coach and, and, and players and, and, Kind of, in a way, you have your your finger on the pulse there, just at how they're reacting because, and not that it's uh, necessarily a negative thing, but you end up in one way or another finding out if something went over really well on a team and or, or, or not so great. And that's only because of our proximity to them. Was there, are there relationships from the team that you remember specifically fondly? Like you, you kind of, I, I think I was really close with Bloomy. And his wife, Danny Lovitz, as well. Go back, I'd say Darren O'D. Not trying to leave out any of the current yeah. guys, but like oh so. But were there guys 
that you kind of you felt you mixed with well with your dealings? This is nostalgia corner. This is what we're doing here. Yeah, we're gonna no, go into nostalgia completely. corner. Um, I would say that my my thought process on what I did in in my role, I wanted to be as much as a ghost as possible. Right. So I tried to keep a low profile. That being said, you're always in situations where you you get to talk to players. So I don't think I have the same relationships that you have had with players over the years. But but that being said, I think that there there are just moments like having mo- like really good movie conversations with Ashton Morgan on a plane mm. because we're just scrolling through what's on the, the film. And, just, and we've all watched every film there. Oh yeah. And we're forced to watch something. No, but I think I earned some cool points where I was like on the plane. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch deer hunter. And he's like, Whoa, you're watching that on a plane. I'm like, yeah, it's like, that's, that's intense. I'm like, Oh man, it's such a good film. And then like there was that instant connection yeah. where you're like, that's really good. But yeah, I think there's uh Justin Morrow was another one. Yeah. Uh, he had somehow found out. I don't know still to this day that I was going to propose to my uh, girlfriend at the time. And then like the next day was like, Hey, do you, uh, did, did it work? And I'm like, what work? It's like, you, are you uh, going to get married? I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, How because guys it? don't have the, the, the ring to wear around yeah. to show that it worked. <laughs> yeah. So that was really nice. And then, uh, Stevie at the time yeah. was the captain in, in 2014. And he, he always sort of just looked out for everyone and, and sort of, uh, just made sure that people were aware. And then there's that one moment where I was with you and Stevie at the New York Stock Exchange. And I think this is where Morrow found out, where I was like, guys, I just bought the ring. Do you want to look at it? I'm like, why are you carrying it the next day? I'm like, I'm not. I don't know. I don't want to let go of it. Yeah. Where am I going to put it? So that was a really cool moment. Darren taught me. And it's not until I was like thinking just now how how I was going to phrase all this that I realized that it was, I got Darren's okay in 2013 Basically, like he thought the concept for all for one was cool and he was in on it. And because he led that team, the team was kind of good with it. And when I think of Stevie, he did much in the same for both of us. He bought into everything we were doing and he was just such a great leader at the time to make sure everyone, much as you said, felt included. It felt like they were, were all pulling the same direction and we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah, no, it's I in pre preseason he uh, there was a moment where I'm like, and it was just my dumb mind. I'm like, there hasn't been any content in the last five hours. I need something. Why? Why <laughs> five did, hours? We, why did they send me to Florida right. to cover the team if I'm not going to get? Was anything? that the long preseason or was that the year after? No, this was the long one because I don't think I made it in 2015 or if I did, I made it for one trip. But anyway, Stevie was doing regen by himself. I think he might have picked up a small knock in the pool and it was just him and uh, and a trainer. And I was like, Oh cool. He's doing like mm-hmm. water aerobics. I'm like, Stevie, are you comfortable if I just take a picture or take a video of you doing? He's like, whatever mate, just, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but I was like, okay, I just wanted to make sure. But yeah. like even those moments of being like, yeah, like do whatever you need to you do. do to your work your, while yeah. I do mine. Yeah. I'm like, okay, great. But it was just like, I, if it was half the other players there, I wouldn't even have asked. asked. Yeah. Just because either a, I'd be, just mocked or, <laughs> or just be like, no, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. So it was just nice. Watching them win the championship in 2017 is a special moment. It's going to go down as one. But personally, as you look back on, on some of the things, I don't want to say that we worked on because that's unfair, but really Sean, like how, where does all for one, no, not at all for one. <laughs> well, what are some of the things uh, that you take away from, from your time at TFC that you're really proud that you did? I, this is more an exercise for me. Yeah. I want to remember 
all the stuff that came out and all the content that was created. One of my favorite things that uh, I got to be involved in and the championship was was really, really important and it felt great. Mm -hmm. But I think the from a professional side, aside from and 100 percent, I'm not buying into you being in this room, but aside from all for one, I think the two things that I really am uh, like am proud to be work with or be involved with was uh, in 2015 Seba's MVP. Oh yeah. Um, it was something that nobody asked for anything. Nobody was looking for anything, but I was like, Nope, we're, we're going to make this like massive, massive website where you could watch every single goal he's ever done. You can see every single, uh, stat that he's pulled together throughout the year. And it's just in this one sort of microsite. And we, we went up against, basically we did this all hidden, away from Major League Soccer because Major League Soccer was like, you can't make these kinds of sites <laughs> because you're not monetizing it. And I understand it being in that side of the business, but we were like, let's be a little bit pirates and ask for, yeah. ask for forgiveness later. And so we spent three to four weeks just dedicating ourselves to it. And it turned out great. And it was just something that nobody asked for. People saw it and was like, holy crap, did we pay for that? It's like, no, that was just me and Safraz who was doing the back end of it all. And it was just, it was, it was great. And then mm-hmm. the other one is, uh, come on, you reds, the, the podcast, podcast yeah. which, which still to this day is it like, it's still alive there. It's just a cool thing that I really hope continues and continues and continues just so it's like, oh, when we come into it and it's like, yeah, that, that podcast that's was started in 2014 because I was like, there needs to be just a different medium for, mm-hmm. for news. And there wasn't really a Toronto FC podcast at that time. I'm glad you said, come on your reds because I wanted to go there. But first that Seba MVP campaign fucked me so hard. <laughs> and oddly enough, it is when I watched the video that we did and you can watch it one of many ways because we just kept reusing the video and putting a different end board on the back. But when we we had to do the video for that, I think I was told on a Wednesday it had to be done like Friday. And I was like, oh, OK. And I, you know, so a lot of it was stuff that we already had that I cobbled together. You know, I kind of pitched them. I'm like, you know what we need? We need a movie trailer. Like, that's how yeah. I pitched it. I'm like, we need this to be a movie trailer because that's pretty much all we can probably do right now anyway, because we can't have any huge involvement from Seba because he had a game on the uh, upcoming weekend. And so we have a little, we have a little bit from him off the top. And then something that I think feels very movie trailer ish. But what I remembered is I think it was two o'clock on Thursday afternoon and they're like, it's late. I'm like, what do you mean it's late? And I'm not going to mention any names, but all the people involved, I actually love them to death. They're all great people. And and we had a really good relationship, but I remember it's like two o'clock. You're late. I'm like, I'm not fucking late. like, no, I'm not late. I, first of all, I got this yesterday. Yeah. Second of all, I just got Seba this morning. Third of all, what do you think I am? And, but I think it was done. It had to be done by four or five o'clock that night. And it was just one of those neat things where uh, on the video side, it's where when you're under extreme pressure, you don't get the chance to explore every road Yeah. that you're just like, well, this is my first gut reaction. I guess we're going to have to go with it or else no one gets anything. And as I said, I still, the piece of music, like the way it's structured, I still go back to it now and it gives me chills. Uh, so yeah, that whole campaign and it worked out well. Yeah. Like he was named MVP. He yeah. won just about every award someone could win that year. Yeah. It was, it was one of those moments where it's like, I think TSC had turned the corner and, and sort of arrived. I know that there was bloody big deal in 2014 and the Seattle game where it was like, Hey, this isn't, 
like your dad's TFC anymore. This is a new high powered, high spending team that is here to stay. But I think Seba's 2015 just sort of turned the page to really have a focus on that. This team is going to do something special and continue to do it. And yeah, it, that it was, it was incredible. It was such a fun one. Did that video go in tandem with the pizzas that went around yeah. to all the, the writers? Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. All the writers received, was it 10 on the pizza? Yes. In pepper. So it was just a pepperoni pizza, but the pepperonis were arranged in a one and a zero and everyone in the area, I feel like oh, it, it was North American wide. I think they hit like some ESPN, like I think Taylor Twelman got a 10 pizza. Jeez. Yeah. It's kind of smart though. Completely. Uh, I think you were the first one that I knew. And this is crazy talking about this in 2019 because it seems like everyone has a fucking podcast, but you were the first one I knew with come on your reds to have one started. So it was in a way your podcast, even though you were, you were you on it once? I don't think I was ever on the podcast. Is that wild to you? No, because like not Come to on. like not to toot my horn, but I'm like I created it, so it, it was by design that I wasn't that, on it. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that because of I had the past with the Footy Show podcast, right. where I could say whatever the heck I wanted to, with obviously things to back up my mm-hmm. statements. But I think that I was a bit too timid to say something that could end up me either getting into a bad situation or what have you. And so I didn't trust myself or, well, no, I would, I trust myself to delete it before it goes live to air. Right. But I just didn't want to put myself in that position. And so you're like, devang, out you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. When, <laughs> when you, when you trust the person, it's like, okay. And once yeah. again, there's that next level. And I also, and I've said this to you a million times over the last year, I don't, I don't see myself as a host in any which way. And that's what this, the show needed. Mm-hmm. And they needed another quote unquote, like uh, no, not quote unquote. They needed a big name to carry it. And that's yeah. why we brought in Gareth and Gareth was that name that brought in like somebody who's on TSN, somebody who is on currently like one talker. It's, it's, it's a name that is going to drive people to, to go to the, to pod, listen, to listen. Yeah. Whereas Devang was that guy at the time he had a following, but he was sort of that, that guy that can lead the conversation and put in his two cents and gain that reputation to rise him up. Mm. And I thought that's where he really Shine, Sean, 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 he Sean. Yeah. He, sh- he, he had a real Sean. He real K'd. He yeah. K'd that one up pretty hard. What did, what do you take from footy show? Which for those who don't know was a podcast turned TV show as well. Right. On the score. But there's a video component. At some yes. Point. So, so originally the footy show was a, a show in itself on television. Oh, it was first a television yes. show. Okay. So, it, it, it sort of was this show that changed names a few times, but it was always hosted by James Sherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then throughout that, then at the point where the Footy Show podcast came in, and that's sort of where the collection of four or five people on a desk, yeah, became a weekly podcast. Was it a rotating, aside from James Sherman, was it a rotating cast? For the most part, it, it was it was usually, like, usually James and KJ mm-hmm. were the two, and then... Then it would be a rotating cast of myself, Dunlop, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah, yeah uh, Thomas Dobby, mm-hmm. and uh, Joe Ross. And then, so what did you take from from Footy Show yep. that you knew and come on your reds? You were like, okay, if we're going to do anything, we just got to do this thing right. Or we just, I want to focus on, on, on this thing for the show. I think the biggest thing that I, I learned from there and just 
like the thing that I enjoyed the most about podcasts is making sure that you keep it light and you keep it funny, keep it consistent. Those are the things mm-hmm. is that you can turn on and you, yeah. of all the talking we've done. Yeah. We have never discussed this point yeah. ever. And my mind just a little bit exploded. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things that like you can turn on the TV, you can turn on like radio and, and the chemistry, keeping it light and keeping people engaged. Right. You, you've said it a bunch of times. It's like community building. It's, and that's what right. a podcast is. And that's what a show should be turning into in whatever platform it is. Everything should be about the fan base and about the community and about reaching out to what they want. The same, at the end of the day, they're the ones listening and that's what they want. What do they want to hear the most? And obviously there's format and, and keeping things in there, but that's, that's the key to it all is, is engaging that group of people that love you the most and then be like, well, if it works for them, then hopefully it'll work around. But I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And then once again, surrounding yourself with people who enjoy to be around each other yeah. and, and, and knowledgeable people, like-minded people. So I think there was a time where I was actually, I, I don't want to say this, but like jealous of your relationship with Devang because we had, we had kind of, we kicked it off, you know, in Philadelphia, everything was going really well. And then the opportunity came for you to take a bigger role and Devang, who you had this previous relationship, this is totally jealous girlfriend. thing. <laughs> this is exactly what this is. Devang comes and joins the team and then he becomes the host of come on your reds. And then we were working and he was taking on a bigger presence on the video side, on the website. I remember he made my pieces so much better by being able to steal all that audio. But where, where did that relationship start to develop that ended up now that you guys are at TFC? It was at the score. Yeah. 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 We, we had worked together. He started to write for the footy blog at the score. He will, he was an intern that's where I first met him and he was, he came on and he was a soccer guy and it was just sort of a, the one thing about me at the score is that I always uh, found myself going towards the, the younger people who worked there. Yeah. Um, and I just, I found a better connection with them than the older. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I felt a little bit more comfortable like talking about sports with them. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I always felt more like akin. The, yeah. But yeah. So Devang, Jake, Chris Lund, there was just a group of them that I always, we always sort of, kept in the same group and, and hung out. And with Devang, it was like, he knew a lot about soccer, whether it be MLS, whether it be Europe, whatever. But that's where the the connection really, really started. And he, he worked so hard early days at the score where he just sort of earned everyone's respect. And it was like, wow, this guy's digging in for everything. And if you needed him to write about the Olympics, he'd be working throughout the night doing things. And so I always relied on him for, for any sort of, help or needed. Mm-hmm. And when I first moved in to working at TFC, I was like, I'd love to have a secondary writer or just a writer that can come in and do something. And he was the first one just because I knew I could trust him. And I knew that he, he would listen to me. And mm-hmm. I, there was always a building trust and relationship. And that's usually when you move to a job, mm-hmm. you, that's who you reach out to first is the people you know and trust. I think I modeled a lot of what I was doing after you. Uh, now that I think back on it, because I remember preparing a document ahead of season three, where it was kind of like, these are all the people that I want to have involved in this. And season three was when you're named co-producer on it. Uh, Devang was named associate producer. And the, the idea there was that it was kind of the, the recognition of how much thought is being put into by you guys, you know, these stories and what direction we're heading and, mm-hmm. and making sure we're on, we're, we're on brand and, and, you know, it's, the information's correct and the history is, you know, the right beat. But 
now that I think of it, Dylan, we interviewed Dylan together. Yes. For all for one. So Dylan, one of these days you're going to have to be on the pod as more than just, well, no, you're going to have to run the dials, but then (laughs) you're also going to have to speak. But we brought Dylan in for all for one and we went to real sports and that's where the interview took place because, well, first of all, I didn't even know what to ask. And I still don't know what to ask in an interview. When you looked at the last round of interviews we did, I just want to do it at a coffee shop. Yes. And it was really just so I can drink lots of coffee. But we hired Dylan together and that was me, I think in a way, looking at what you had done and in the kindest sense, being envious of it, like mm-hmm. not envy in a negative way. I was just like, oh, this is really smart. I wish I had this group of people that I could start pulling together into a thing. And, and then that was kind of where all for one head. And and then in a weird way, that's where we wound up here yep. is that I, I, I just wanted that idea. And I love that idea. And you, me and Devang, I thought for that period of time, we're like this perfect, we're like the three amigos. Yes. We were just on everything. We talked about everything. We, we seem to be roughly on the same line when thinking about things, but if someone wanted to bring more color to something or more context to something, there's always room for deviation and, and, and to include the other person's idea. And I think where I'm going with all of this was that conversation we had one time. And I think it was like in that little cubicle that you guys were matched in where we were like, <laughs> you know, if one of us leaves, yeah, we're all going to leave. And it's such a warm feeling when I remember that in a way it was because there were stresses that were outside our control as happens in any company. But it felt like we at that point had finally found like a a really good vibe as to where we're working that we're like, Oh, we don't want to do this again without each other. Yeah, no, completely. It was, it was, there was a, is it okay that I told that story? Like, are you, you're comfortable that being said? Of course. Okay. (laughs) It is kind of weird. It's like us plotting all leaving. Yeah. But yes and no though. But at the time it sort of set, it it set the table that we were all happy in what we were doing. But if something was to change, that was drastic, which one leaving is, especially when we all felt comfortable in those jobs, then you're like, Oh, okay. Then we, then, then it is sort of like the canary in a coal mine where it's like, okay, something's wrong here. And yeah, that was, that was a, that was a really good sort of uh, period. I think it, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was in 2015 because it couldn't have been 2016 because <laughs> that's it, the canary hit. But I left. I, I <laughs> think I think it was early. 20, I think it was early 2016 hmm. because I think still Devang didn't come in until late 2014. Yes. And then we had, I think, a year of really understanding what all this stuff was. Yeah. Then we had uh, like. We had put plans together and we were kind of taking control of the TFC content Yes, and we were seeing some of the stumbling blocks in there where we could easily rely on each other, but we were finding it harder to move things through like the big machine yes. that is a corporation. And I think that's when we're like, okay, this works really well, the three of us, but I don't know how we could sub anyone out. And then as you said, like yep. fast forward, whatever it is, four or five months and you were the first one to make the move Yeah, because then you left. And then Devang stuck to our blood pact. <laughs> Devang's like, he's right. You know, if there's no Sean, there's no any of us. And then I didn't leave. <laughs> I chickened out. <laughs> it's chickened out, whatever you want to call it. I, I 
I guess I chickened out because I came back. No. So no, I, but nothing was ever the same. No, I no. think I, we can. We 100%. had this really wicked sweet spot, but then we could never. And it wasn't an us thing. No, I don't think we we're still working together. So yeah. no, hopefully it, was, it wasn't that. It was just a situational thing. I think completely ceiling of a job yeah. and and everything. It just sort of was like, oh yeah, I'm not a bright eyed, whatever age I was, 29, 27, 28, yeah. 29 year old. And 30, like, 30 whatever, <laughs> but just like looking to attack it and looking to, to see this as an opportunity to travel North America and do yeah. all this. It, it was like, no, I was a hardened 34 year old married, married and, yeah. and, and had other things that I just like, it just, it wasn't the, the same gig, but at the same time, like sleep. Well, yeah. And I think, I think, off. yeah, I think just, it was a different job. It yeah. was a different situation. The, the business of sports and entertainment has changed a lot over the five yeah. years. So yeah, it just wasn't the same. And, but that being said, the, the championship happened that year and right. I am so grateful to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and so glad. Cause I think I would like, it's weird. Cause in 2016, I would have been completely content of been in being in the crowd right. for a championship. But then on 2017, it was like, no, this, this is right. This yeah. is sort of the, the situation where, yeah, I just wanted to be able to say that I was a part of it. I had said at the beginning that I was going to talk about like the years before work. It's we went forty, we went forty minutes basically on cool. Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. They should no. be paying us for this. Forty minutes no. about ourselves, <laughs> not about Maple but, Leaf Sports Entertainment. But what I thought was neat is when we talked about that first meeting in Philadelphia, and you kind of made a joke. You're like, not that it was this big thing. Like, yeah, we didn't have. It's not that we had stress over it or anything like that. But it really, it completely changed the course of my life. Yeah. Because that was in early 2014. Here we are in towards the, the last days in 2019. Yeah. And as we joked about, you're the person that I talk to for like 90 minutes every single day. <laughs> and that's just the morning. That's just before lunch. Let alone when I stumble in your office is like, Sean, I got to talk about clothing or whatever. <laughs> Sean, you got to be in the podcast. <laughs> it's like, uh, after 90 minutes, oh, you want to go home the yeah, podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's do it. I actually, oddly enough, I'm excited to have the podcast end in 20 minutes just so we can go on and talk about other things that won't be recorded on pod. Uh, <laughs> that's so weird. Um, the podcasting thing is is really our first venture into trying to create original content. Yep. Uh, and it wasn't honestly until we had this conversation that I was forced to think about the fact that you started COIR and that I was like, Oh yeah. And that's the first person I watched start a podcast. And then that was linked to one of the first podcasts I knew about. And that was the footy show. What are we trying to do here, Sean? What are we, and it, is this a job interview now? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I thought earlier, I'm like, this kind of feels like a job interview. This is just general. I want to reach as many people as I can, not with my own voice, but through content to, to feel the same way that I feel about sports. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the the biggest goal that I've always wanted. And I've always sort of seen is, is I just have these passions for things and I feel like people view them the same way I do. And I just hope that I can deliver something to them that makes them feel the same way that I feel about the thing. That's, that's my basis of content as a whole. And then we've been able to move that past just sports and we, we're, yep. we're, we're venturing into pop culture and, and figuring out what we like there yeah, and what works we there. we can get more people as passionate as I am about Fast and the Furious, then <laughs> God, I've done it.
I, I think we can wrap up the podcast giving people what they really want. And this is something we do so well. And I joked before we got in here, I said, people that know each other as well as you and I should probably not be involved in an interview style podcast, but rather we should just be examining what's at play and then play off of our natural like banter okay. back and forth. So when we're sitting around the table uh, at lunch, we, we kind of stumbled ourselves across MLS talk. And so I thought I'd bring it into the podcast Looking at the East and the West, we're going to head, we're, we're heading into the playoffs. Let's kind of run down some of our teams and some of our favorites if you're up for it. And we're, we'll see. I'm going to try to abandon format yeah. because I think if I force too much format into it, it gets weird. But uh, I don't know. Why don't we hash it out in the in the West and oh. see how we feel in the West? Because then when we talk about our our, our beloved Toronto FC, yeah. maybe we'll understand where we're, where we're going to go with it. This this year is so weird because it's been so dominating from LAFC, and then the rest of the West has been pretty consistent at the top. Yeah, Seattle's sort of getting up there now, but like it's late still, season Seattle, they're always All, it's so crazy. It's like the LA Galaxy of yesteryears, where like in like twenty twelve, <laughs> I love that you said yesteryear. Well, twenty two, <laughs> like from like twenty twelve to like twenty fifteen, the yeah. LA Galaxy didn't show up for the first half of the season, and all yeah. of a sudden it's like here they come trotting into second, and then they lift. The MLS Cup, yeah, and Seattle's been doing that, and they're they're a good team, and I like them. But there's something about them that I'm just like, I don't I don't know if they have the the it factor to to go all the way. But it's like, I LA LAFC scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I just for some reason don't think that they're gonna do it. But they've been so goddamn good. Minnesota isn't one that I'm interested. in. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they could kill me, but so. Is it because they haven't beat the Galaxy yet? Is it that kind of, or or, or what we saw from them in the U.S. Open Cup, yeah. right? Where when it it comes to these championship games, or or not champ, but these yeah. the, these high pressure games that we don't see the LAFC that that we see in a regular season Wednesday night. I think so. I think that's a until they prove that they can win big big games, it's it's tough to do it and it's one of those things where yeah on a wednesday night in salt lake yeah you put up four it's but, also salt lake. but like but at the same time it's when you get to a real match and they've got a small sample size so mm-hmm. let's let's say that at the beginning but i just i there's something there where i'm just like maybe not and mm-hmm. it's that old adage of a of a boxer it's like you have you have a game plan until you get punched right and and that's sort of what the Galaxy have done in those big games. And yeah, and but it's the Galaxy. The Galaxy can score, but they can't defend. Like they're, not, they're in these games and you're just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. So I just, I'm just haven't fully committed to LAFC in, in a knockout t- style tournament. Not to use a, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use a hockey analogy, gripping the stick too tight. Yep. It's like, it's almost in their brain. They put that match on too much of a pedestal yep. that then they aren't able to perform at the ability we've watched them perform in all the other ones. And it's not that they haven't beat good teams. Yep. It's that everyone talks about, you know, oh, can LAFC finally beat the Galaxy? And it's like it gets in their own head and they're like, I don't know, can we? Well, we better prove them. We better put everything forth. And then they just kind of sputter out of the gate. Yeah. And and that lineup is very the midfield's very young. I was mentioning that yeah. at lunchtime. They've got three very good midfielders who are just continually just like plugging away and doing great work. But you look at Carlos Vela, even who, who in the international stage struggles to show up or doesn't show up at all for Mexico. Yeah. And you got a backline that is is stable and good. But at the same time, I think aside from Beta, I don't know if they have a a ring in that backline. So once again. 
it's that situation where until they do it, there's there's these, this weird question that I can throw out there being, well, they haven't done it. Right. Um, but that's, that's, that's my sort of feeling with LAFC, but they're such an incredible team that I like, it wouldn't shock me, but it's just, that's the little doubt in me. And Minnesota is the kind of team that's so good defensively that if they knock in a quick goal, they can really, really sit on that and potentially squeak out in, in one game elimination. Was, game. was that, what were they? 2015 Portland team. Were they that kind of team? Is that how you r- remember them being? It's a tough one. Uh, Were they more offensive than than Minnesota is now? I no, no. You know what? Yeah. I think you're pretty right because well, now I think about it, like you got Darwin Quintero at the top of Minnesota, who's really, really talented and dynamic that can score from inside, can score from outside. So no, I, I think you're you're spot on with that call. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never get that. Yeah, and like they had Nat Borchers at the back in 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 Portland, yeah. whereas you got Ico Parra in that back line. Like there, yeah, there's a lot of similarities in that in those squads that that it it could be. I, I feel like the West has been dominated by streakiness, right? We we saw the earthquakes kind of come up and then fall. There's two different moments. I feel that the Galaxy have been pressing for that first. And I say pressing. The first spot has never really been threatened. No. But they were contending for the for a solid second spot. And then they would fall off. We talk about the late season efforts from Seattle, which if you ask me, that's just streakiness right there. If you can't show up uh, like really until late in the season, then then that's not that's not showing the fact that you have it all together for the full year. Is is Minnesota the only team maybe that that's kind of been who they are now? For a for for a long stretch, um, we don't have any of the stuff in front of us. By the way, yeah, like we're just talking off the dome. The one the one that I have not watched enough soccer to talk about, but has always sort of been in the conversation of playoffs and small market is Salt Lake. Salt mm. Lake is currently quietly in fifth uh, fourth place, and and wow. and and you're like, who's even there? Like they're there's just this yeah. small market team that's plugging away. And it's like, man, is the Western Conference final? And it might not be able to go this way, but could that be Minnesota versus Salt Lake? Imagine. What, that's what everyone wants. Nobody no, wants that. Nobody but. wants that. We're gonna, let's In the East, let's stay away from Toronto FC for a minute. And yep. we, we'll kind of just talk about them in a bubble. Does anyone really have your confidence in the East? Because no. we chatted about Atlanta earlier, and Atlanta just doesn't. I, don't, I can see them falling a part they just yeah they lost i think it was 2131 recently to a definitely a beatable opponent the whole east is a bunch of teams that could beat each other right red bull and uh, dc and new york and philly and and toronto and atlanta and new england it's like you you shake them all up and if you like 3 weeks ago and you're like okay well this team comes first and you're like right. it doesn't it doesn't matter right. it just seems who shows up on on the day and and wins that game because it, there's, I don't know if you want to call it parity or or if it's just the lack of uh, executing at consistently. Mm-hmm. That's the not the issue in the East, but that's what you have. You have a bunch of teams that are good, but not great or haven't found that greatness yet. Are we respecting Philadelphia for the first time this year? And this sounds crazy because we're like on the brink of decision day, but it's like they 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 were strong. 
pretty much all consistently c- yeah. consistently all season long but yet everyone was always like eh but they're Philadelphia like they're not that deep they're or they're not that you know they could lose at any moment are they finally in the last day of the season going to get the 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 respect they deserve for a 2019 campaign this went totally radio show yes but <laughs> the old yes but uh, yes, I, I think that they like this year. You look back and you're like, "This is a great year." But yeah. if they lose their first round of the right. playoffs, then That's it's it. just back to the the same Union squad. Right. What this does though is cements the long term future of uh, Curtin there. Yeah. Um, which has been like even last year, it was like they resigned him for a one year deal, and yeah. usually if a coach comes in for a one year deal, it's a dead man walking. <laughs> so, so it's it's one of those things that you're just like, oh, okay, well he's going to be there for a while, which is yeah. a good thing because he's brought stability to that team. He's brought in players that he loves to run the system, and I think he's he's sort of I think the what you want mm-hmm. in a, a smaller market team understands how to work with players and 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 is a players coach, but at the same time. Uh, understands to where to find uh, efficiencies in in searching for players and so on and so forth. DC United are they uh, are they propped up by by an interesting season that was maybe hotter off the top than it was in the back end? Yeah, I don't want to blame the Wayne Rooney uh, leaving at the end of the season. Yeah, but that sort that of was is, all kind of awkward. But that sort of is that that mark where they sort of fell off a bit and, yeah. and weren't themselves. And I don't know if the team sort of gave up or I don't know what it was. Yeah. But they're they're also a team that could get in, get a heater and and run it off. Like it, I don't I, think they're going to though. I, I don't know. Yeah, like you're right. Neither I do I. No, but <laughs> like, like if you if you get that that front attack scoring goals, then they're going to be fine and they're they'll be good. I, like you could tell me right now, aside from New England, I think any team winning the East, and I'd be like, I could see it. Yeah, like it is. It's just up for grabs right now. Is this a, a successful season for New England? Just if it ends, that they make it in the playoffs, they play that single game, that first game, they get bounced out in one round elimination. This has got to be a successful season for Bruce Arena and 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 New England. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. This is this is Bruce. Bruce's job and he comes in and it's just like, yeah, I'll stabilize everything. We'll win a couple games. We'll sneak into the playoffs and hopefully find themselves rebuilding and getting right. the investment that they need. Um, they've showing their upward trajectory yeah, so that they can then I say lure in the nicest way, yeah. more talent in. Yeah. Use that craft money for <laughs> good, for good. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's what they need to do. They yeah. need to sort of take that same step that, Chicago is making currently, maybe mm-hmm. not on the field, but find themselves a uh, downtown stadium. Reclaim that they're a city team and not a Foxborough team. They yeah. need to be Boston. I know that they're New England, but they need to they need to adjust in into sort of modern times in in MLS. I made the bold prediction uh sitting around the lunch table. I was like, well, guys, I have a good feeling one of the New York teams is going to make it through. And you were the first one to pipe up and be like, you just gave yourself a really good chance of succeeding. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, New York and LA, one of them are going to make the finals. <laughs> it's going to be in New York. Oh, that, that, if we talk about perfect matchups for MLS, either A or B New York team. Yeah. And really LAFC is the perfect matchup on the other end, yeah. but to have the, the LA market and the, the new uh, New York market, yeah. it's got to be the dream scenario. Yeah. So would you give the slight advantage with all the shenanigans to Red Bull? Out, out of the, the New York team? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But I think I think out of the East, if I'm going to pick anyone, it's Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. 
just uh, the pedigree of last year, the scoring ability out of uh, Joseph Martinez, yeah. my boy. Yeah, as long as as long as his health is is okay and yeah. he's playing, uh, I that, that team should be the team to beat. Um, yeah, I think we just found what not maybe it's not soccer, but I just found I think we finally found just after the hour mark where our groove is. And that's sitting here talking soccer and I can just tee up questions or scenarios and I can let you talk about them and I'll nod along because I just believe you're right on all of these things. Yeah, but they're all going to fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) I sit here with confidence, but knowing deep down inside that all this stuff can fall apart in two seconds. What, uh, where's TFC's biggest struggle? Do you think going into the playoffs and not, not in terms of position on the field, but well, what's the biggest thing that they're going to have to deal with? Keeping like not not calling defense out, team defense. They need to keep the balls out of the back of the net. Yeah. And I know that's simple to say, but uh, yeah, Martin Bailey. I was telling you earlier today that he had tweeted out that they've only had four four clean sheets all season, which is their second lowest in in the franchise. Yeah, with some really bad teams in there. But yeah, I think that's where you need to, in, especially in the playoffs, one one game eliminations. You need to tighten that back line and be able to strike on the counter, or mm-hmm. even just. Once again, score first and then hold a, a lead. If if they can't do that, they're 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 dead in the first seat, first round. Like uh, off the back of that stat, is it really weird to think that because last year was the worst year in terms of clean sheets, correct? correct. Yeah, and this was the second worst yeah. year, and yet the core. And this is again not calling the team out at all, but the year before last year, they won the championship in the most at that time the most dominant season ever seen before in MLS. It, it, it's just kind of odd. It's just weird. It, it almost, you wonder which year is the statistical anomaly almost now that we've seen another rough year this year. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, one thing maybe we're not taking into account is the fact that as every year ticks on, everyone gets a year older, bodies get a, a year slower in the nicest sense for all the guys who are still younger than me, but I, I, I call them old. <laughs> Father time is undefeated. Folks. Right. Yeah. And it's true. And that's, yeah, that's the, one of the things. And I think that, and not discrediting what Greg Vanny is doing, uh, it's just they, the style has changed. Yeah. They're more on the front foot. They're moved to a, a 4-3-3 where they're trying to really find width in the back corners and, and really attack and score goals and, and 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 move the ball flowingly. And if you have the ball and you can t- continue to maintain possession, then they're not going to score goals. But it's just few and far between where they've done that. The one time, uh, and I've said this to you before, it was that LAFC first half. Right. That team was the best TFC I've seen in two years. They, I wouldn't say they bullied LAFC, but they went to LAFC and they looked the better team and they moved the ball around the way that Greg wanted them to. And it was like finally seeing what Greg wanted with all the right pieces in place. And it was amazing. That then, being said, they changed they whether it be through form formation or through mindset or what have you. The second half changed a bit because either LAFC adjusted or they were like, "We need to try to defend," and yeah. it sort of fell down in the back end because of just a, a bonehead mistake. Do you remember who scored in that LAFC game for Toronto FC? Tsubasa Endo. Yeah, this is the weirdest thing maybe I've ever said. As his emergence as like a regular starting forward really helped them to continue playing this 4-3-3 style and 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 being able to push through the back half of the season with it because it didn't look like that was working so well in May and June. Yeah, I think he has a combination of multiple skill sets that really makes him 
valuable on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a high work rate. Uh, he can find himself in tight spaces and can create a shot from outside, inside, what have you. He's sort of that mix of like your like Gallardo uh, like burner that'll yeah. just go down the wing, work really hard. And he has a little bit of that like touch that Oso has. And he can sort of play in, in multiples positions and situation and he, his work rate's really, really high and he's finding himself in really good spots. Do you remember that time we sat down? It was in during marketing day. We sat down with them and we never used that interview at all. We talked about uh, being at home yep. and living through the nuclear disaster Jeez. in Japan. Yes. Like I was about to make, and the reason why that came to mind, I was about to make a comment like what a journey he's had in MLS. Yep. The fact that he, he, he played right after being drafted. Yep. Then he found himself on the bench. Then he was in USL. Then he was dropped completely by the organization. Yep. Then he was back in uh, USL. Then he got a first team contract. Now he's, you know, helping lead the team into a playoff position in the back half of the 2019 season. And I was like, what a life he's had. Yeah. Uh, Sean, this has been an interesting journey of our own. Uh, I think if we come back, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll do Mike Ball once said that we should do like post-mortems podcasts on projects we've been on. Uh-huh. And that might be a neat thing to walk through. I don't think this me interviewing you thing will ever work again. No, I don't think 100 I'm back. No, <laughs> no we'll just, we'll bring you back. Like you came in for the uh, wrestling guys. Yeah. Yeah. You can just come in as the co-host. Yeah. No, I, I just won't interview you for a hundred. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. You okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be okay. It hurts, but I'll be okay. So at the end of this very special 50th episode, that's been a bit of a roller coaster and ended with our predictions for MLS cup. I like to end every podcast the exact same way, Sean. I'm pretty sure you know this by now because I believe that every big change we want to make in our life starts with us paying attention and focusing on the smallest of things. And the smallest of things we can do to take care of ourselves is to watch what we're putting in our body and making sure we eat our vegetables. So oddly enough, I always thank you in every podcast at the end. (laughs) Uh, So from Sean, from myself, from Dylan, who's running the sliders, uh, from Sean K who helps with producing and everyone else that puts time into this show and all 50 episodes, please, please, please be good to yourself and eat your vegetables. Children. You're going to be a dad. Ah!